Um, it is a pleasure for us to be here, and uh, just such a beautiful presence of God and familiar faces, faces I have grown up with. Um, yeah, and new faces too, so it's really encouraging. And yeah, I do have a word for you, and uh, I've really felt this. I've felt this for our church as well, and it's in Romans chapter 8, uh, 15 to 17. It says, this resurrection life that you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant. <laughs> Don't you just love that phrase, adventurously expectant? Greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Sorry, I have to kind of lean here. God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we are, I just want to stop here. The other thing that's been going on in my heart is we have to remember who God is. God is victorious. I know we have phrases like Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. He truly is. He's sovereign. He's in control. And sometimes our speech is like, oh, my goodness, what's happening? And this was written by Paul. You know, think about it. His life wasn't, his, his life was full of persecution. And he's like adventurously expectant because he knows who God is. And I really encourage you to keep your gaze there because the more we gaze at him, the more we lift our gaze, there's power given to the name of God. Even in our words, what are our words mostly of? like the power of God, adventurously expectant. And I feel this is really falling upon the churches at this time. Um, and it goes on to say, um, and we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. If we go through the hard times with him, then we are certainly going to go through the good times with him. And there has been some hard times, but... <laughs> God is God. I'm sorry, like whatever people are saying, but God is God. And his church, he will build his church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I encourage you to be adventurously expectant. Because I know this is a season coming into that there is going to be healings and miracles. And adventurously expectant about what God is because he's raising up his church. He is powerful, and just remember that. Remember that. Fight the lies of the enemy with these words. Fight the, the deception of the enemy. And he uses bad times to wear us down often. Um, the enemy does, but what does God do? <laughs> he does the opposite. He fortifies his church. Man, I, I've seen that in people. They just turn around, and they're stronger than ever. They're more dependent on Christ than ever. They're more full of faith through hard times. So praise God. God has great things ahead. love that song all my life he has been faithful you know things aren't always great things don't always go the way we want sometimes things are fantastic some things sometimes things are a struggle sometimes I'm disappointed sometimes I'm discouraged sometimes I'm like this is awesome like when the Canucks went no um, but I I just want to say all my life actually even before I got saved he was faithful. Otherwise, I'd not be here if he was not a faithful God. 26 years ago, White Rock Church, this church, sent Tamana and I out to plant a church. 26 years ago. 
I was 42. I was kind of a late bloomer. Most pastors are starting when they're in their 20s and 30s. And we were kind of old when we got started, but I got saved late, so that I guess that's my excuse. But when I look at some of your faces here, like Tamana says, there's faces that she's grown up with. I've grown up with this face. I'm sorry about it. Can't do anything about it. But I think of some of you who encouraged us in our early years of ministry. When, uh, actually, my title was, uh, Pastor John Clark used to call me the agitator because I was always stirring the pot and I was always doing something different. And, and anyways, but there's faces and people here that encouraged Timon and I all through those early years. And uh, we've loved pastoring the church. I would say, Tanya, I miss your heart and spirit in worship. She led, she was one of our first worship leaders you were 18, 16, 17? When we started our church, we didn't have anybody, so she did and Tamana did until our son said, Mom, when are you going to stop? You're getting too old. Uh, but uh, Tanya was with us, and then Matt and Tanya got married there. They led our intern program, and uh, we uh, love Matt and Tanya, and we know that they are doing a good job, but there are great things in store for this church. I also want to say, Pastor Mike said this, but we've known each other for 40 years and uh, it's been a good 40 years you know we've struggled with things different things in ministry but we've also been friends and I'm telling you being friends in ministry is is huge so um, thankful for me not so much for you I wasn't given a time limit <laughs> and the other side of it is the clock at the back's too small for me so <laughs> sorry about that and then my wife took some of my time. So uh, I'm in trouble right from the beginning, just so you know, because my assignment this morning was Acts chapter 7. Don't turn there. And my father-in-law used to always say, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. And, and I would always tell him, that is absolutely not biblical. So just so you know, wherever you are, Pastor Matt, <laughs> you gave me permission to do whatever. So for the last few weeks, I've been preparing on Acts chapter 7. And yesterday morning, I just felt the Lord put something else on my heart. So I'm going to go with that today, if that's okay. But the, the awesome thing about Acts chapter 7, you know, Stephen, the one that was accused of blaspheming Moses and the holy temple, you know, a man, the scriptures, Pastor Matt talked about this last week, full of the Holy Spirit, full of faith, full of wisdom, and he's standing there. He's being accused by the Sanhedrin and all these people around him for blaspheming. And so all of chapter 7, which is so awesome. This is not my message, by the way. All of chapter 7, he talks about, he goes all the way back to Abraham, Moses, Joseph, or Joseph Moses, David, Solomon. And he talks about that whole lineage of people that lead up to this place where Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and gave his life. And Stephen was stoned to death for giving that message. Amazing. It's totally amazing. I had an interesting experience. Tamana and I have a great privilege of traveling across the country, meeting leaders and pastors in other cities. And so we were in Ontario and Quebec, Quebec, sorry, Quebec. Uh, no, Quebec. Anyways, we were there. 
met with a lot of leaders and pastors, but I met with a cousin of mine who lives just north of Ottawa in Gatineau, and she had the coordinates for a graveside or the gravesite of the very first McTaggart that came to Canada. And so thank goodness for Siri and Google. We went and we drove all the way out into the middle of a pasture in the middle of nowhere. And there was about 30 grave sites. And I found uh, the, this gravestone of one of my uh, ancestors who came to Canada over 200 years ago and died in uh, 1743, I think it was, 1843, long time ago even before Canada was a country. And he fought with the Loyalists. He was put in prison because he was fighting with the British against the Americans. And anyways, it was quite a thing. And so as I was going through Acts chapter 7, I thought, that's a great illustration, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> First, let's turn to uh, the book of Nehemiah. So uh, Pastor Matt, you'll have to prepare Acts chapter 7. Or are you preaching next Sunday? <laughs> you know, the church we have observed has had some struggles and difficulties in the last few years. And I mean, you know all the story going through COVID and all that, but there's, there's more that's kind of against the church. Things like post-modernism or post-Christian. We're in a post-Christian season. There's words floating around like deconstructionism. Deconstructionism talks about um, you know, examining something to find its weakness. And people are doing that with the Christian faith. They're studying it and they're searching out, trying to find weaknesses with the Christian faith. They're saying that Jesus is outdated in his theology and we need to revamp it and change it because the message of Jesus no longer works today. That's what our culture is saying. They would say this, did God really say does that really mean that, that verse? Or what kind of loving God would do fill in the blank? I would say in this season, our nation is divided. We've been divided politically. We've been divided over numerous different issues in our nation. The churches are experiencing division. As we go across Canada, it's interesting to see churches where their elderships are divided, where people are leaving the church because they don't agree with this and that. And the problem is they're not going anywhere. And that's taking place in our country right now. People are confused. They don't know where to find the truth. And people are afraid that the world is falling apart. They're tired. They're worn out. People have become more confrontive, less forgiving, way less gracious. You notice that? And the church has kind of become insular. They've kind of turned into themselves and almost that we don't know what's going on in the culture around us. We've become an island. But I want to tell you this morning that people need an encounter with Jesus. I don't care whether they're a deconstructionist. I don't care if they're an atheist. People in our nation, people in your city, your neighbors across the street need an encounter with Jesus because Jesus is the truth. 
No matter where people stand, no matter what people think, no matter how they feel, Jesus is the truth. And I love the, what Colossians 1.17 says is that before all things, he existed before everything else and he holds everything together. Do you know that that has not changed right now, that we can declare that in our nation, no matter how bad things look, Jesus existed before all of that and he holds it all together. That's our faith in Jesus. I love that. We need to focus on Jesus, his truth, his word, and the gospel that he proclaimed and he died for. So before we do, can we go back to a picture? Because I mean, I meant to do this before. This is the first slide. Some of you don't remember when we left. It was just Tamana and me, and our oldest son was 16. Our daughter was uh, 15, and our youngest son was 12. And so uh, our oldest son, Drew, and his wife were on the far left. And then our, uh, or sorry, our youngest son and our oldest son, Scott, is next over, and his wife's right in front of him. And then, of course, Tamana and I, and then our daughter and son-in-law Chris and then our grandkids that's all happened since we left this church <laughs> so maybe it was a good thing <laughs> but uh, yeah I just thought you might want to know that uh, our kids are doing great they're all serving the Lord and uh, yeah we love it actually we just uh, three months ago turned uh, Southgate Church over to Chris and Mullen now they're the lead pastors and we're being led it's great Okay, let's get to this. Nehemiah. My title this morning is Engaged in a Great Work. And what I love about the book of Nehemiah, because I, I believe this is the season that the church is in, is that we're in a season of rebuilding the church in our nation, even in our own local churches. We, Tamana and I met with a pastor and his wife um, in Ontario, and they went away on vacation, and when they went away on vacation, they had five people left in their church. And on their vacation, their prayer and their conversation is, do we quit, do we give up, or do we keep going? We have talked to pastors that have been so discouraged. One person said COVID did him in. He didn't even know if he was gonna be able to lead anymore. We've seen it right across the country. But I'm telling you, the church is in a great season. This is a time for the church to rise up. I mean, the title of your series is We the Church. Yeah. You the church, us the church, the people of God. This is the time <clears throat> more than ever for us to rise up and become the church. And this book of Nehemiah, it's all about rebuilding. Now, Nehemiah is a book in the Bible, but it <clears throat> he was also a person. And God always works through people. God works through us, whether you like it or not. He's going to work through us. He was, and it's so amazing because a brother of his came to him at the very beginning of Nehemiah and shared the fact that the city of Jerusalem was, was broken and the walls were burned and everything was in such a disarray and bad place. <clears throat> Nehemiah's response was he wept, he mourned, and he fasted. And then it says, and he fasted for many days. And I, I was, actually, I was reading that again this morning. I was super convicted by that because do we feel that about our cities? When we look at our city and we see how broken people are and how, how in disarray our culture and the, the morality is, are we grieving and mourning and fasting over it? Or are we just saying, well, that's just the way it is and it's going to go? 
because we can be the reformers. We can be the changers. And it's interesting. He was like, literally, he was like from here to Edmonton away, 1,200 kilometers. He was that far away from the city, but that's where his heart was. And he didn't even know the people. You think about White Rock. You don't, you know, some people, but you don't even know the people. But he mourned and wept and fasted over that. But he took it as an opportunity. And then uh, if you know the story at all, he went to the king to ask for permission to go back and rebuild the walls. It's all about rebuilding and, and seeing things made, put back. And that's where we are, I think, with the church right now. And so he takes this opportunity. And um, I, I loved your word, Tracy, because it's just going to, I'm glad I changed actually between what you shared and what you shared. It fits in because all the way through, he gets confronted by the enemy. No, I'm good. I got one here. Thanks. Um, He gets confronted by the enemy. And so the king gives him permission. He writes a letter and says, hey, go for it. Gives him the money, gives him everything, the supplies to go back. He he rode horse. Some of them walked from Vancouver to Edmonton. If you think of it that way. Took him three months to get there. But right away, as soon as the king gives him permission, the enemy, Sandalat and a couple of the other guys, they come and they come up against him and they challenge him. And they, they said this, um, if I can find it. Oh, they scoffed contemptuously. What do you think you're doing? Are you rebelling against, rebelling against the king? And I love this. Come on, you get this little phrase from uh, Nehemiah chapter 2. Nehemiah replied, God of heaven will give us success. If the church is going to see a change and if we're going to be reformers in our nation, the God of heaven will give us success. This is just my introduction, by the way. Yeah. So I'm going to read a length of passage. If you want to turn, if you have your your uh, tablet, your smartphone, your iPad, or a real Bible, which I would really encourage you to bring real Bibles. Like for me, I like to write in them and mark them and underline them. And when I do that on my phone, I can't find it anyways, so it doesn't, doesn't really matter. But I'm reading from Nehemiah chapter 4, and I just want to share a few thoughts out of this that would, the first four points are kind of downers, but I'll redeem them at the end. Is that okay if we do that? All right. Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, why does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think, what do they think they're doing? Have people ever said that to you about the church? You feeble Christians, what do you think you're doing? How are you ever going to manage doing that? And he goes on, do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? People think, oh, if you go to church on Sunday morning, do you think you can just make everything better? No, but we're going to get filled up and we will be able to make things better. And then he goes on, they can make something out of from stones from the rubbish heap and charred ones at that. Tobiah, the Ammonite who was standing beside him, remarked, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. 
May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out or do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was complete to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and Ammonites and Ashdodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They, were, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the walls ourselves. Let me pray. Father, I pray this morning just in these few short minutes that you would reveal some personal truths to us to help us in our own personal life, but also to help us in the life of the church. God, that you would take your word and deposit it in our heart. So we say, Holy Spirit, do your work this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to first talk about four causes of discouragement. When I see this and I look at what the builders were doing, and you have, you have to think about this. The wall they were building was 40 feet wide. No, sorry, 40 feet high and 8 feet wide. And so they had to read, like, I don't know how those build down, but the gates were wooden and the gates were burned down. The walls were destroyed. And so... Here, Nehemiah has this great vision. I'm going to go back, and we're going to rebuild the wall. And halfway through, it took them 52 days. So after 26 days, the Bible says they started complaining, and they were tired. Well, how did they get that? What are the things that caused them to be discouraged? And, and I would say, this is in my personal life, and maybe in your personal life, these are s- similar things. So whether it's building the church or seeing God do his work, or whether it's in your own personal life, that there are causes for discouragement. They were only halfway through the project. You know, it's always easier to begin something than it is to finish it. Uh, In my case, it's easier to gain weight than to lose weight. (laughs) Or it's actually easy to fulfill your schedule all up than to actually do your schedule. It's easier to start exercising, but, (laughs) and to me, Nehemiah gives four clear pictures. So when we get discouraged, we get discouraged when something takes longer than expected. And I would ask you this question, are you committed? And I I can say this with some of you older uh, saints that I know really well, but I'll say this maybe to the young ones. Are you committed for the long haul? Because it will take longer. And it said they were comp- they completed to half its height and then they got tired. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. This big wall. And you get tired. You get worried. And in that you get exhausted and you just don't have the energy to do it. And you just get frustrated because it takes way longer than you expected. It's like building the church. You know, sometimes, maybe on a Sunday morning, you look around and think, 
God, why aren't there more people here? God, why hasn't this church grown like we dreamed and believed it would? Or, or there's times when God gives you a promise. And you think, God, why hasn't that promise happened yet? Why? Here I am. I'm still waiting. And when it doesn't happen, you start getting discouraged. You get worried. You get anxious. And, uh, you know, Tamana and I have met with a number of people over the last even few months where they couldn't get pregnant. And it was like years, seven years, eight years where they had prayed and they'd, they'd spent thousands of dollars for all the scientific ways of trying to get pregnant. None of them worked. You, after seven years of wanting to have a family, you could get very, very discouraged. And you would almost feel like, I'm going to quit. But what if God had planted a seed of a promise in your heart saying, I'm, you're going to have a child? You think of Abraham. Planted a seed in his heart. And ah, that's impossible. His wife even laughed at him. Crazy. You get discouraged when something takes longer than expected. But I think of this. You know, you get weary and tired and Jesus says this. I'm actually reading this in the message. Uh, passage, you know, when he says, come to me all you who are weary and tired and carry heavy burdens. But in the message, it's written, are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And I think of Galatians where it says, don't worry. Don't get tired in well-doing because in due season, you will reap a fruitful harvest. We get discouraged when something is more complicated than expected. You start a project. I don't know if you've ever done that. And all of a sudden, things go sideways. In our house, we've lived in our house uh, over 30 years now. But three years ago, you know, or four years ago, around the bottom of the house, there's a baseboard that goes around the outside. and, And it was starting to rot. You know, it's exposed to the weather and the corners. And I actually did all sorts of things. I put sheet metal around the corners to make it last longer. I was doing all sorts of stuff and filling it with uh, uh, silicone and doing everything like that. But eventually, we had to take it off and replace it. I'm thinking, no big deal. Just pull off the boards and let's do it. The problem was they weren't just rotten, but the footings and everything underneath was rotten. So, like, it's just, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper, and it's like, oh, my goodness. I was up working in our cabin, and I was replacing some fascia and fixing it, and there was, you know, stuff everywhere, and I stuck my screwdriver in under the metal roof, and it was all rotten. All the plywood, I was just scraping out rotten. And that becomes way more complicated than you want. Man, you get discouraged. Like, how how do you keep going? How do you keep staying with something like that it's tough things are you just get discouraged when things are more complicated does that happen in your life (laughs) we get discouraged when we start doubting our own ability the the, the, uh, Jewish people will never be able to rebuild the wall 
They'd already done half the work. What are they thinking? They weren't in it for the long haul. But, you know, we'll never be able to do this. And, you know, sometimes we th- see things at church and it's difficult. And, you know, for us, <laughs> so many times, I can say this now because it's 26 years later. But there's lots of times when I'm thinking, Lord, why am I doing this? Why am I leading the church? I, I don't have a Bible school degree. I don't have any kind of stuff like that. And here I am, I'm pastoring a church. And then, and you know, I'd be on my Sunday morning prayer thing. And I'm thinking so-and-so would be way better at this than me. And so-and-so could do a way better job. And, you know, we had other pastors in the church and stuff like that. And it always came to this same place. And the Lord always answered me the same way. I said, Lord, why am I doing this? I just, I don't have the ability. And he said, simply, because I called you. You have all been called to do a work in this church. You have a great work to do at Life Church. And every one of you have been called, and you maybe get discouraged. You think, well, I just don't have the right gifts. I don't know if I have any ability. Yes, you do. There is something, some way, somehow, you can pour into this church. I would say uh, one of the hard things in all of this is the pandemic wiped out all our goals as leaders. <laughs> uh, we had, you know, you have these amazing goals and big plans, and it's just like we don't even know what's going to happen next Sunday, let alone next month. And like our church went from budgeting for a year down to budgeting month by month because we had no idea what we'd be doing the next month, and we didn't know are people still going to be with us. You know, it's, it's amazing what took place. People left the church and they haven't even come back, but they're not going anywhere. And then some people, they're still online. No, you know, I'm glad you're online, but if you're online, you should be here. There's nothing like worshiping together with the people of God. There's nothing like having the fellowship and the personal experience. I've, I got tired of watching online, to be honest. Mostly because I had to watch myself preach, and that, would, that was the worst part, so... Last one here. We get discouraged when the opposition grows stronger. And you even heard it this morning, you know, about having that sword. And you know, Ephesians talks about the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And um, I'm going to talk about that again in a minute. But, you know, it's not enough to have just opposition from outside of the church. But when there's opposition inside the church, Oh, man, we, we've seen pastors struggling, leadership struggling because there's factions in the church. We think you should do this, and we think you should do that. And I mean, just all the way through, there's always seems to be opposition. It causes fear, especially because we have an unseen enemy uh, to the church. I'm skipping through because I've got to get this finished. I have a lot of notes, I'm telling you. But in all of this, I want to talk to you about how Nehemiah responded. This is the part that I just believe for the church. I believe this for you individually. And these things are clear in Scripture. So you, you heard those things that are disappearing. It takes longer than we think, you know stuff unexpected and there's opposition and I don't have the right ability or all of those things right this is what Nehemiah did when the people complained and says we can't do this the first thing he did he reorganized whatever wasn't working 
Never think about that, even in your own life, to reorganize what's not working. Um, I always forget quotes and who quoted it, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing, expecting different results. Einstein, right? Is that Einstein? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what we're like sometimes. We just keep plowing ahead. We in the church have had to reorganize and change things. Like even the online thing. We weren't doing online before COVID, but now we're doing it. And, you know, those guys are they're doing a great job. We never would have done that. We're reaching people that never would have seen church before. We're, we have people that are traveling in the church, and they're watching church online to stay connected with what we're doing. So we had to reorganize, and we had to change everything. And... Uh, so Nehemiah didn't quit the job. He didn't quit the work, but he reorganized everything that they were doing. He took people and he says he, he had um, half the people, because then they were getting these things from the enemy. He had half the people. They would stand in there with their weapons and their spears and their swords. The other people that were working in the wall, the Bible says they still had a sword on their side. Come on, we've got the sword. You heard it in the word this morning. We've got the sword. So whatever you're working on, whatever you're doing, however you're rebuilding, whatever changes are coming into your life, whatever you need to reorganize, you reorganize with the word of God at your side and in your head and in your heart. It's the sword of the spirit. That was, that was good. Here's the second thing. I love this one. This is what Nehemiah did. He refocused on the Lord. And uh, he says this. He says, as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people. He says, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. Refocus on the Lord. Don't be afraid of what's going on around you. Refocus on the Lord. I think of a story of David in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Um, after their families had been taken captive from Ziklag and all of that kind, and his mighty men gathered around him, these great men that were serving him, and they were ready to stone him. They said, what have you done? Where's our family? What's going on? And it's so weird, like in the middle, the, the last verse in there, it's talking about all this. Let me see if I can read it. It says, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning uh, him because the soul of all the people were grieved. Every man for his sons and his daughters, they'd lost their families. <laughs> and then there's this little line. But David strengthened himself in the Lord. Nehemiah sees these people complaining. The enemy's coming against them. They have opposition. Remember our great and glorious God. He's the one that will bring us through. He's the one that will help us. You know, you look at David all throughout scriptures, how he called out on the Lord. He says, answer me when I call you. Listen to my cry. How long? Turn and answer me. Listen, these are all Psalms. Listen to me. Cry for help. I waited patiently for the Lord. You know, your thoughts determine your feelings and they determine your actions. Discouragement is a feeling. And if you want to change that feeling, you have to change your thinking. Refocus on the Lord. Maybe that's for someone this morning that you're struggling and you've got your eyes side, you know, you've got stuff coming against you and things are not working out. Maybe it's just that moment where you need to take that time and refocus on the Lord. And just remember, even as I said, all my life he has been faithful. 
And here's the third one he did. Resist the discouragement. James says, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist discouragement. It is easy to get discouraged, especially when you're not together. That's, that's the beauty, I think, that can be in the church is when you're unified. One heart. One, I love it in Acts. I think it's uh, beginning of Acts chapter 5. They were of one heart, one mind, and one purpose. And you know what brought them to that place? A fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Come on, we need that in the church. Here's the last one he did. Respond in faith. And again, the enemy comes against them. Now I'm into chapter 6 somewhere. But the enemy came against them again. And it says in chapter 6, verse 1, Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, I found out that I'd finished, had found out that I'd finished rebuilding the wall and that no gaps remained though we had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So Sambalat Geshem sent a message asking me to meet them at one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But I realized they were placing me to, plotting to harm me. <laughs> hey, we see that you're just about done the job. We want you to meet us at, oh no! What does that say? I always think of home alone when I see that. I don't know why it is, but I always think of home alone when I, when I see the oh no thing, but we, see, we get this right in front of us. You know, oh man. Dude. And the enemy's coming against them. And this is the line that I love in this whole passage. He says, I realized, in, this is in verse, uh, end of two going into three. I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied to them, sending this message. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? I think sometimes in the church, we spend more time trying to focus on the enemy when we should be doing the work that God's called us to do. And if we're doing the work that God's called us to do, and if we're declaring that our God is a great and glorious God, then the enemy won't be able to touch us. You know, they were prepared. They had the sword of the spirit. They had their spears. They were doing the work, but they continued because they're engaged in a great work. This church over the decades has been engaged in a great work. You're here not just to meet on a Sunday morning, but to reach your neighbors, to reach people. I love over in, uh, I'm jumping all around here, but when you go back into chapter three, when it talks about them rebuilding the wall, there's this one line, each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Hey, you got work to do in your neighborhood. You got work to do in your apartment building. You got work to do at your job. There's people right across the hall at work. There's people right across the road where you've got this great engaged work to do to reach them and touch them for Jesus. Anyways. <laughs> it's getting late. Reorganize. Refocus. Resist discouragement. Respond in faith. I am engaged in a great work. Choose faith, not fear. So just to finish off, in the famous last words, in that chapter, in chapter 6, the Bible says five times the enemy wrote a letter 
to discourage them and to distract them and to get them off the job. So even though he'd made this claim and even though they'd got back to work and even though they had the word of God with them and the sword of the spirit and even though they were moving ahead and rebuilding and they were seeing the, the walls and the gates just about completed, the enemy still, still kept coming, still kept coming. And it says five times they wrote letters and, and then the last time they wrote a letter that was totally false. Have you ever had people tell things about you that aren't true? Oh, man, in this last season, we've had people say stuff about us. I thought, I don't even know what that is. I don't even know what that means. But people say things, right? And all the way through, people are saying things that maybe aren't true. And it says this, there's a rumor spreading around uh, that you, Nehemiah, you're planning to rebel and you're rebuilding the wall and then you want to be the king. I'm just kind of paraphrasing myself. And so Nehemiah replied with this. There's no truth in any part of your story. You're just making the whole thing up. <laughs> Come on. Think about it. you got an opposition. Let's just say the enemy's coming to you and says, hey, you're just making up that story. None of it has any truth because I'm a child of God. He's my great and glorious God. I've got a work to do, and I'm engaged in a great work, but I love how he ends it. He says this in verse 9. They were just trying to intimidate us imagining they could discourage us and stop the work. Come on. Respond in faith. Resist the enemy. Come on. We can do this. And then he says this. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Come on. That's where we're at as a church. Let's continue this work that God has called us to do at, at Life Church and White Rock, at Southgate Church and Langley. Let's continue to do this work. But let's be determined to do it with even more enthusiasm. Come on. When you leave this morning, I want you to be pumped up and think, I'm going to do a great... I'm going to start reaching people across the road from me. I'm going to start talking to people at work because I'm engaged in a great work. Can I encourage you, Life Church, continue... The work with even greater determination. Life Church, you are engaged in a great work. Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for these great people of God. I thank you for the leadership of this house. And I thank you, God, that you have given them a specific mission and a specific work to do. And I pray, God, that even now that in their hearts they're getting equipped and stirred to do the work that you've called them to do, to touch the people you've asked them to touch, to reach the neighbors you've asked them to reach, and, God, to build the church. We know, God, that you're the one that causes, you're the one that builds the church. You're the one that causes growth. But, God, we want to do the work. We're going to plant seeds. We're going to water. We're going to plow the ground. And, God, I want to see you do a great work in this house that they would begin to see young families coming in. They'd begin to see teenagers coming in. And all of a sudden, there'd be new life and just a greater dimension, God, of what you've called them to do. So, God, I just pray over this church, these people of God, we the church, that they would be blessed and that they would see very plentiful and fruitful harvest in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.